0: I had a fry every day this summer, talking on building sites, you know. Now again, we didn't win, so maybe it wasn't the right thing to <laughs> <laughs> I should have been uh, there to the pasta. <laughs>
1: OTB AM, live, weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app.
2: OTB
3: AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with Exfoliating Bar.
4: Good morning and welcome along to Friday's edition of OTBAM. It's Ashton O'Reilly with you this morning. We have a brilliant show lined up, all to look ahead to a massive weekend of sport. One of the biggest Irish sporting events of the year. It is, of course, the All-Ireland Senior Football Final. Kerry versus Galway on Sunday. Throw-in is at 3.30pm. I'm going to be there alongside Kerry's James O'Donoghue live from Crow Park. So do tune in. And speaking of Kerry, we do have a Kerry special on the show today. And who better to speak to than our own very, our own Kerry native, Owen Sheehan. How's it going, Owen? You're back in the kingdom? Yep.
3: Very well, very well, Ashley, Yes, indeed. Uh, back here, My, made the journey down from, from Galway yesterday morning. A little bit of a road trip through Kerry, as much as you can do one in, in the, the space of, of one day. So we're bringing you stuff from Kinmair, from Killarney, from Tralee and a few other places today um, as we try and get a sense of, of what's actually happening around the county. like A little bit like Galway, I will say, Ashling, where people are kind of holding back a little bit on all the hype and all the colour. Galway probably with more bunting and colour out and uh, probably more evidence that they're in an All-Ireland final. Um, Kerry probably holding off until until D2 on Saturday night or Sunday night, I should say, before uh, <laughs> fully revealing that, you know, they were really invested in this final.
4: Yeah, and um, what did you make of all that? So for people that don't know, Kerry G A on Twitter, they put out a post-match poster um, advertising their post-match party that's going to happen, as Owen said, in D2. It's 20 euro in. Yeah, what did you make of it, Owen?
3: I, I think I was actually at the one in 2019. I, I, I vaguely remember being there at some point, and I think there was one organised for the drawn game in 2019. I think we, we bought tickets and went, and it was... Not great, uh, because it was a draw All-Ireland. I mean, I, I do think that uh, you couldn't really get away with it nowadays because for obvious reasons. But I think that people tended to wait until they saw the result before booking their hotel room. I think that's the thing that a lot of people do, that if Kerry won the All-Ireland, they be like, ah, I'll, I'll buy the hotel there and then, and I'll stay in Dublin for the night. Or if they lose, I'll just belt away home that night. Cause like, can't possibly stick the side of the dub celebrating around dublin so i think maybe that 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 was a reason why that was such a, a disappointing experience in 2019 why we bought tickets I, I i don't know but i i think i was there last time uh, so it is there is proof i was there that this <laughs> thing does happen win lose or draw as the case may be and uh, maybe it'll be better this weekend win lose or draw because i presume anybody who wants to stay in dublin on sunday night will have to have had their bookings made quite some time ago
4: yeah, definitely, is something that they have always done. I'd, I'm sure most teams do it. But does it maybe put out the message to Galway that uh, they have this one already wrapped up? Is it up on the <laughs> on the in the dressing room yes. before Joyce have it in a speech beforehand?
3: <laughs> Absolutely, one hundred percent, Ashling. It is. This is a, this is evidence that Galway are going to win All Ireland on Sunday. <laughs> if if, uh, if if we come away from. Uh, the 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 game at the weekend and David Clifford has been wrapped up by this masterful defensive system. Uh, Keane O'Neill, apologise, get no credit for that. D two get all the credit for that. If, <laughs> if Paul Conroy kicks fourteen points on Sunday. Remember, that's not Paul Conroy's fault. That is D two's fault. That is the reason why he turns into Superman. So yes, this is it. This is this is this is the moment. Galway won the All Ireland.
4: Do you have your ticket?
3: I have my ticket. I I am a season ticket holder, so thankfully there's no stress. On that regard, it's just trying to uh, help other people out to to try and get tickets. But anecdotally, I don't think it's as bad as it was, obviously, in in 2019. Last time Kerry were in a final, uh, obviously, Dublin were the opponents. On that occasion, there was uh, maybe a a less of a cost-of-living crisis then. And I think if you don't have Dublin or Mayo in an All-Ireland final, my experience has been that tickets are a little bit easier to get. Not that they're easy, but a little bit easier. So I think more people will get sorted than than usually would in in the case of an All-Ireland final weekend. We may have a similar situation uh, to the hurling, where there there might actually be a few tickets floating around on the day.
4: Yeah, hopefully that's the case for a lot of people. So how are you feeling then? Are Are you on edge? How's the nerves? And uh, not really.
3: I, I like. I, I think it'll probably be more of a, a Sunday afternoon thing. Maybe when the uh, teams warm up and the the parade begins. Like it's been really enjoyable over the the last few days. Actually, kind of like talking to a few legends from both counties and hearing the stories of of glory from from both of the counties. That's kind of like a stress-free experience because all you're hearing is stories of people getting over the line and saying, you know, we all lived happily ever after. We all got our Celtic cross or Celtic crosses, as the case definitely was with a lot of these Galway and and Kerry legends that I spoke to. And then you kind of realize, actually, there's only going to be one of these teams that's going to come away happy at the weekend. There's one of these sets of supporters, both sets, very, very confident before Sunday, I should say. One of those sets of supporters are going to be uh, very disappointed and very wrong. Uh, on Sunday with their <laughs> level of confidence. So that kind of strikes home a little bit. I think that the, I, think, I think we could potentially be in for one of the tensest All-Irelands in, in a while. Everybody is saying the same thing, that it's not going to be a classic. But when you don't have a classic, what you tend to have is a, a tight game. And a tight game would be a tense game, especially in the context of both of these teams waiting for so long to try and get their hands on Sam.
4: Yeah, we're in for a cracker. It's a really, really tough one to call and we're going to get into all of that in the GA picks as well. O2BAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. And just to let you know what's coming up on the show this morning, we're going to speak with Kerry Legend, Johnny Cullity, Mm -hmm. Kerry superfan, Dan Dwyer. Owen visits Kenmare School where several past pupils are now currently in the Kerry squad. We've Ron Nogar live on the line around 7.50 with the GA Quick Picks. Also Owen spoke with Kerry Legend, Mickey Neto-Sullivan, And we've Marina Barry, who has won 10 All-Ireland medals, With Kerry hasn't really done a lot of interviews. That's a really special one. We're also going to go back to Galway. Pórick and Martin Lally, the father and son team behind Taft's pub in Galway. And then at 9.30, Johnny Giles talks about Matt Busby on last night's Off the Ball. So, Owen, you spoke with Kerry legend, Johnny Cullity.
3: Yeah, exactly. So we're going to play a couple of pieces for you now. We're going to roll Johnny Cullity into Dan Dwyer. So just to mention Dan Dwyer, first of all, he's just a a Kerry superfan fan that I met in the Cusick stand a few weeks ago. He, uh, he loves to, to smoke a pipe and I kind of uh, stuck out and we were chatting away to him. He is a fountain of knowledge and I just did a little bit more research and it turns out I should have known who this guy is anyway. He's been going to carry matches in All-Ireland Finals since 1959. So I went to his house yesterday and as it turned out when I spoke to him, uh, he actually worked with Johnny Cullity for over 30 years in st Finian's hospital in killarney so there's a nice segue between these two pieces but we are going to kick it off here with johnny quality who is a, a legend of kerry football of killarney legion uh shout out to james donna who managed to, to help me get in contact with his family and uh for uh for, to his son for persuading him to do this piece because it, it's one i've wanted to do for a while this is a, a guy who played hurling for kerry he was a, a kerry hurling minor at the age of 14 and played football for for kerry obviously as well moving from an outfield player playing in goals he ended up winning five all ireland medals on the team that included mick o'dwyer and mick o'connell and our conversation here begins around the art of goalkeeping and how it was a little bit different back in his day when the goalkeeper in modern football obviously is such a different position to even 10-15 years ago, were you, were you doing everything as a goalkeeper? Were you, were you taking the kick outs as well? Because I know sometimes the goalkeeper in the 60s would, would give it to the corner back to take,
5: for example. Yeah. Well, I can tell you safely anyway, like, I played football, i just tell you now, in those years now I played in goal, we we'll say, with, with the carry, like, you know. Uh, I never kicked the ball out. I'd say twice, I'd say in that number of years. Really? The backs kicked down. Donnie Sullivan was playing a cornerback. I mean, I could kick, I was playing out the field at club level. That was okay. I could kick freeze and things like that. Maybe from 30 years out of 40 or something. But Donnie Sullivan be playing a cornerback, fellas like him now would be playing. He could kick the ball 70 yards. Right, so at that time, there was no assisting his as shot passing out of the car. <laughs> so what business did I kick you out the ball when Donnie could kick it 20 or 30 yards faster than me? Did he, and did he, did he take the 45s as well out of interest, uh, given he could kick the ball 60, 70 yards? No, with Mick O'Connell around the middle of the field. You and could he could also kick it that long. He'd kick it over the bar, no matter <laughs> from 50 yards out. I, I was just about to ask that his job must have been
3: relatively easy kicking the ball out given you had Mick O'Connell in midfield there was one man to aim at all the time like
5: look I'd I, I be telling you a lie if I was saying there's about aiming at the filling time. time it up to feel like you know and kicking this. And it and if it came to Mick O'Connell you could be sure he'd catch it anyway yeah. that was number one so generally we'd win a lot of the kick outs at that time as well like you know yeah. but as I said there was no such thing as kicking into the O'Connell, back that's O'Connell, anything like that, like that was old taboo at that time. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you mentioned Mick O'Connell there, and you mentioned rowing in the regattas earlier. You didn't ever row with Mick, did you? The only thing I rowed with Mick, I rowed from um, uh, uh Rinnardmonde. Jackie lined myself on the boat, Jackie was training Kelly, and Mick had, had a, a, a boat pulled up there. And I rode across with one of the oars with Mick, Mick was pulling in the other oars. That was the only time I rode with Mick O'Connor into and Island, there was no bridge there was no at that time.
3: What, what was that experience like?
5: Really, it was a bit too strong for me pulling the oar like, you know, I was inclined to turn around the circle, but sure we got there anyway. <laughs> um, do you remember much uh, about him as a teammate, like
3: the the, the stories around him are, are legendary. You know that he didn't like to to celebrate too much when it came to an All Ireland win. He he was a man who really loved home, and like I guess to be fair, like you love home as well. You're like you're a Clarny man, true and true. He was a Valencia man. He is a Valencia man, true and true. And that seems to define him quite a lot as a player, did not it? He liked to just get home and and exist
5: in in, in Valencia Island. Yeah, well, the, he the game the game was all about it. What Mick had like, Mick was only con he was only concerned on uh, the display in the game, like you know, and he didn't go in much for the trivialities. I suppose you could call him you know around it like you know yeah. the celebrations and that type of thing. Uh, he came to play like, and he was always very fit, like you know. I mean, the national league, now, you're talking about fitness and the rest of it, but Mick O'Connor like, he'd be fit he'd be fit Christmas Day like, you know what I mean? Uh, I don't know what kind of training he'd do all the time in the island, but he was a, yeah, I mean he was ahead of us altogether as regards fitness and the rest of it. Um so like, you know, he didn't go in for like, he hate like what you what I'm saying to you here now, all this interview and he didn't go in much for the interviews and things like that, like, you know. But uh, the only thing he could depend on anyway when it came to playing anyway, he was on top of his game every day he played. I all I could say is we won a good few national leagues anyway and I say he would a lot of them, he was one early for us because I, I, he was always very fit.
3: Uh, I I asked this of a Galway fellow yesterday, and and I I know it's not fair to compare different generations, but for people who might not have seen Mick O'Connell play, is there a modern example or somebody in, in maybe even from the eighties and nineties that you could compare to the type of player that Mick O'Connell was for Kerry?
5: I couldn't see any for compared to compare to. my tell you like you know he was. The man could, look, I often say, I wouldn't say, he could do anything, like he was a good kicker at the ball, he was a great fielder, he could kick left and right, he could take frees, he could take penalties, he could, any aspect of the game, like, you know, and he was a very clean player, he didn't, he hated dirty play, like, you know, even though he was physically very strong himself, I I, I could safely say you'd never see him trying to, uh, hit any kind of a dirty belt or anything like that. He was a very fair player, very clean as I say, like, you know, but he had all the skills. You know, do you know how to, you're talking you know, often talk about fellas no great players all the rest, but look, uh, if a fella can kick left and right, if a fella can kick freeze uh, off the ground, if he can kick him off his hands, if he can feel so he's not a great player. Yeah. That was that was a I mean Colin could do them all. Do you know what I mean? Is he the best ever, in your opinion? Oh definite. Definite. I I didn't see any feel as good as the menu to the suit. Yeah. No Jack O'Shea they said he was a great player and he was a great player. But like uh, different kind of styles altogether to me. Like, you know, I'd be biased, I'd say, like towards him anyway, like, you know, he played all my time, like, you know. He won a lot of medals for the likes of myself, like, you know. National leagues and all islands, we wouldn't win, we wouldn't have won a lot of money for him anyway. Do you stay in touch with him a lot? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I'm talking fairly irregular enough, you know. I was, yeah, he was in great shape. No, uh, you know, he was. things didn't go great lately. He'd last seen yeah. his wife there some time ago, like, you know, which was a, a very bad blow to him, like, you know, because uh, and I suppose he spends most of his time in Valencia you now, like, it's different here in Killarney. I'd be meeting... A lot of fellas know maybe more so than he would like, you know. But he's great shape all the same, like, you know, and he's a great man to have a bit of a conversation with. He he he's a he follows soccer, rugby he follows all the games all the time. Anyway, he could tell Let's you see. about it. Oh, he does. He keeps well in touch.
3: I was actually going to say, ask you, like, what, what do you actually talk about? Because we had him on the show a few years ago, and uh, he wasn't—he uh, wasn't really having much of, you know, the, the talk that you know about the, the rowing contributing to his fitness. He—he he takes no nonsense, Mick O'Connell. I think it's fair to say. And I—I'm—it it sometimes feels as if he doesn't—he's um, not very up for talking about modern GA and stuff or modern sport. But he is obviously—he is keeping an eye on everything.
5: Oh, he keeps a very good eye on it. As a matter of fact, he asked me a couple of questions the other day there about uh, the mark. He was asking me you know, about this mark. He was kind of, uh, you know, he wasn't very, one uh, uh, the questions he was asking me, I was wondering about it myself after because I'm not that familiar with it. Like, you know, just he, he'd clean up altogether because he'd be a free shot at goal every day, he'd catch it. Like, but uh, he was wondering, could you catch it in the middle of the field or could you could a fella catch it in the backs and say, claim a mark? Uh, and of course, I was saying to him, like, to be a great job if the goalkeeper could catch it in my time because if you caught the ball, you could say, Mark, can you? and you could have a free kick out. Where most of the time they were trying to belt me into the back of the net, like, <laughs> you it. So you could be asking, answering that question for them, like, you know. Yeah. Just a, a couple of other things, just because we mentioned Wishy earlier on. Yeah. Uh, you you would have been good friends with Wishy, would you? I thought sure Wishy is only living about three or four doors long from me here, like, you know. Uh, we see we myself together, we're working the same job, we're, on the same we're working the same thing. We're working the same pinions, right? Yeah, the yeah. same job, yeah. And um, as I say, he's just living down for me. As a matter of fact, then he was coming on. Of course, <laughs> there was no sub-goalie. You shouldn't know that well then, but there was no sub-goalie like when, in, in the early days. Like, you know, when I came on the team, like, uh, there was no sub goalie. We had 20 players. I could tell you different youths to see him, There'd be 20 players. Like there was five subs, and there was no sub goalkeeper. I remember on two occasions I got injured all the early time myself, uh, and you'd look up and you'd be getting up, and you'd know how you were going to play and or something, and you'd see some flu. There was a sub, maybe it was a forward coming to play and coming to come stereo. Mm-hmm. So even there was fierce controversy about it, and we she would be sub goalkeeper now in '69. 70 around that he was you know he was he was playing golf for his carry. In the, in the, here was like with his carry all his carry here now and i was playing out the field uh, so he was a better goalkeeper probably to me but he i got a goal and i was in before him uh, so uh, we were We're great friends. We were fellow workers. We'd go to the park, and you know, we'd be trained together above in the field. I'd be taking penalties, and him, he'd take penalties, and me, and you know, that kind of a thing. Like you know, he was a, he was probably a better goalkeeper than myself. Like you know, there was, past of men, who was definitely like you know he was very quick, like you know, and he was, uh, very he wasn't a good kicker of the ball. now, like you know, but. Anyway, I wasn't opposed to him after that, know, but when he should have been, at least he should have been sub goalie. There was no sub goalie, as I said at that time. So uh, and later, then, like, you know, I don't know he played, he won junior all-in. I do know, he got a, a senior all that I'm not sure really. Nice. Yeah.
3: And after you, you finished playing football, you obviously would have stayed great friends, and um, I presume you would have been a, a massive fan of, of his broadcasting on the radio.
5: Or it should. He, the man should. He, I play with the Legion here now, Dr. Cox. They'll tell you, Dr. Cox probably. I tell you, we have a good club ourselves, like, and we, she was chairman of the club, and he was secretary of the club, and whatever job was to be done, he played with the club, like his brother, Jeannie, bought him them are gone now, like, you know. They played for the balls for 20 years with the club as well, like, you know. And to be the same with myself and my brother and the rest of them, like, you know. Uh, so, um, I'd say, like, uh, you know, he was probably one of my best friends, do you know what I mean? Uh, his wife, Joan, is living just down below here. And sure, we'll meet here every day of the week, all the time as well. Like, you know, my own wife here, like, she'd go to town for a cup of tea with him and sing, you know. So, you'd miss him a lot now, like, you know, because, like, there's no doubt about it. He was a great profile, like, and, you know, for Kerry, like, he, the All you know, you'd see him passing the door, going up, watching the training, and he'd be talking about what was going to happen, sure. I don't know how many awards he won like you know, for for radio carry like uh, on the football side of it. What did they call him? McNamee Awards did they call them or something? I'd say they won a good few and wish he was a, you know, he was great. He had he 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 refused I couldn't I couldn't hold up the medal so <laughs> talking about football. I'm sure he knew everyone in the country. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
5: He was very popular. Oh very popular. Yeah. yeah. But I tell you Basketball, of course he played football, he's a good footballer now, he played, as I say, a very high standard and he was—he should have been sub-goalie, but should have hadn't a sub-goalie that time. And then he played basketball and he played with Kerry in basketball. He was a great all-rounder, the only thing, he, he never mastered the holding. Yeah, he wouldn't go at the holding, but he, he, tried, he played a bit of a game like, you know.
4: Yes, Kerry legend, Johnny Cullity, you can watch the full interview back on all of Off The Ball social channels. Oh, and great stuff there from Johnny. I love the part where he speaks about uh, back in the day, goalkeepers, they didn't kick out the ball. They used to give it to the full back to do the job. Yeah,
3: and also pretty uh, pretty open about the fact that it didn't aim at anybody, just uh, get it as far away <laughs> as, as, far as, as possible you can. <laughs> from from the goal. So, yeah, no, that's uh, that's Johnny Colody. Uh, as you mentioned, there, the full piece is going to go up. It's uh, over 40 minutes, I think, we chatted for yesterday. And uh, obviously you heard a bit about... Uh, Nick O'Connell there and Richie Foger. he does also a uh, good chat around his time uh, in management and training the Kerry team and also maybe the training or lack of training that Kerry would have had in uh, the, the 1950s, 1960s, when uh, I guess sports science and innovation was, uh, was a, a far, far distant idea.
4: And we're going to come back with Kerry superfan Dan Dwyer in just a few moments' time. We're going to turn our attention now to rugby. Last weekend, Ireland made history after sealing a series win in Wellington over the All Blacks. An epic win for Ireland. Delighted to say that I'm joined by Ronan O'Gara. How's it going, Ronan?
0: Hey, Ashley, How are you? Good. Good.
4: Now, what was your reaction to the win, Ronan?
0: Um, yeah, it was fantastic, obviously. It was um, very well constructed, I thought. Yeah. Um, I was chatting actually to um Adrian, bumped into him on holidays. Adrian is enjoying the delight <laughs> <the laughs> of Vera. Uh so we watched the All Ireland together and um uh, discussed a bit of the game. Um at twenty one three it looked like it was gonna get extremely nasty for, for the all blacks but in fairness and the um I suppose, came back with a better plan after half-time, and that's what they do. They kind of score out of nothing, and their their two tries were probably a little bit of individual brilliance. Um, but Ireland refocused, and then uh, I think you have to really mention when Andrew Porter got the yellow card, how I suppose Ty Burns took over. Yes, it was a team performance, um, um, but um he really, really came up with big players. Big players come up with big moments, and that's a perfect example of it. He, he, he changed the momentum of the game again back in Ireland's favour, uh, and, and that's difficult to do away from home, uh, especially against a team that's fighting for their lives. But uh, then Ireland controlled the last 10 minutes, and they controlled the ball, and it's probably, from their point of view, I think they would have liked to have got a final score to really drive the nail in the coffin. But... Um, you know, to win the series and win by 10 points and do it so comfortably uh, will give that group huge confidence.
4: Yeah, it was incredible. And watching on at something like that, to see Ireland win a Test series in that way, what does it mean to you? Was it emotional watching it or or what sort of emotions did you have?
0: Um, no, I didn't. No, I wasn't emotional, I suppose, because it didn't feel like a tight game. I thought Ireland were very much in control, and it was a good example of how much their attack has improved, and probably how their team is completely aligned between their forwards and backs, and everyone understanding their role. The, the tries they scored with the ball were just uh, so interesting to watch because they picked apart uh, a good team. You can't say that that that's at the minute the New Zealand team is a great team, but uh, you know I think was it, um the Robbie Henshaw's try just before half-time is just the joy you'd get from being in that Irish, I suppose, camp when that comes off. Um, it's hugely exciting, but that's that could be a good big starting point for Ireland. in, in their, When they play like that, they're a very, very difficult team to um, stop and it. it probably reinforces all also that of, uh, yes, they won the series, which is huge uh, over the summer, but... Uh, I suppose the record of this group of players and staff is very very good and they've been consistently good and you recall the game instead of France they had France under the pump and pushing them really hard to win the win the game at, at the end of the game and that's the only game they've um they they they've lost if I'm correct
4: Yeah and where would a lot of people were talking about where this moment ranks in Irish sport I suppose for for Irish rugby achievements where would you say this moment would rank?
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's I suppose the fact that it blows all the other arguments out of the water is that there's uh, two other teams that are five in total that have won a, a series in New Zealand soil over hundreds of years. Is that right?
4: Yeah, so there was South Africa in 1937, the Lions in 1971, East Australia in 86, and then France in
0: 94. Yeah, so since... You know what I mean? I suppose professional rugby, there hasn't been a team to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know what I mean? And that, that that group of players from Ireland that went over this summer, they'll always have that memory. They're the first. They've done it. Um, and it's great too because it puts everything into perspective a little bit. Everyone is chasing a World Cup, but there's building blocks to be performing in a World Cup and that's the biggest building block. That's the biggest thing when you hit the rocks and the team will have have rocky periods because it's another 15 months to the world cup and, but they look back and go, okay, well, what stood to us when we were under the pump after losing the first test in New Zealand, when everyone, and it sums up sport as well. Everyone was kind of ridiculing them three weeks ago and the fact that, oh, it's going to be a long, desperate, hard tour. And I know uh, this team is old and it's stale. And then two weeks later, oh, wow, look at the way these guys play. So, a nice little bit of reminder for the hurlers on the ditch as well that uh, sport changes very quickly but judge a team over a consistent period of time and I think that's why Ireland under Andy and under this group of players have been very very good Ronan did you and Adrian share a cheese
3: board last weekend?
4: <laughs> Adrian would love that <laughs>
0: um no he was he was a bit off the pace No, I didn't think he he doesn't <laughs> like the all a glass of beer in the afternoon so that's something he needs to improve on um but um no he was doing the family man he was kind of watching kids watching the game but uh, what a game of Ireland too you know it, it was hard to keep our eyes on, on the kids for that period of time but um uh we didn't share a cheeseboard no Oh, you know I'm more basics you know a little bit of there wasn't even i don't think i offered them. it maybe a glass of rosie but i don't even think i offered him
3: that <laughs> uh, very good um we must get adrian's perspective on that as well over the next few weeks uh Ronald, can i just ask there about the um the building blocks point that you made there do, do you feel now i know brandon we don't have the benefit of hindsight here do you feel now that the win last week is, is a more significant building block for a team in a World Cup cycle than, say, a Grand Slam would have been in, in 2018 into 19?
0: I think so. I, I would definitely think so, um, because it's it's a different uh, challenge and the fact that we're very similar with Grand Slams and the the, uh, the programme and the preparation involved in peaking for a Grand Slam. What, what another team has done is... They've uh, peaked at the end of a season when there are all the potential excuses are available to go to New Zealand, and uh, I mean, winning one test is, is juicy enough, but to win the series is as powerful a statement as you possibly make. So, for that group, especially losing the first one and losing it by 23 points, is there were only, I suppose, uh, little crumbles of comfort to be taken over. But I think watching it you could see if Ireland were a little bit more accurate and a little bit more aggressive in in certain areas of the game that that could come together and then um, as you know sometimes when you put the we suppose the bigger rugby nation under pressure at home, um, that can cause mental problems for for that team and that's what Ireland did in Test 2 and then in Test 3 what they did brilliantly is obviously they had such a big lead because it, when it becomes a one-score game, the momentum that the the ABs can get playing at home was huge, but the fact that they probably had a, a power play, a big moment, a purple patch, a big moment, that gave them the two tries, but Ireland were still ahead again and there was five points, so the three points became another two scores. You're, you're always in a great position mentally to have that two-score cushion, and I think um, uh, Ireland did that well, but the fact that it's you know, I mean, completely out of the comfort zone with an 11-hour, 11 12-hour 11 hour time difference back home. You kind of world turned upside down, playing five games. Some boys having to tug out on the Tuesday or the Wednesday night and do the bench. And it just shows, I suppose, where there's a will, there's a way. And everyone is into this kind of, I suppose... Um, Textbook preparation for a test week, but you look with two Maori games thrown in, and on, uh, week one and week, two, week three. Uh, when you have a plan, when you believe in the plan, the plan can work, and Ireland showed that uh, brilliantly, um, especially after, I suppose, um, uh, a hugely um, difficult start to the tour.
4: And Andy Farrell definitely had a plan to, to go out and win the series. I suppose there was a lot of talk at the the start of it. Were we going to see other players getting a chance, you know, to move things around in the squad, to build, to look ahead to to the World Cup? And I suppose he didn't do that exactly. He probably had it in his mind. He wanted to go out and, and win this series. Were you impressed with the job he's done and he is currently doing so far?
0: Yeah, it doesn't surprise me one bit, I think. Going back 20 years, the guy was an absolute um, phenomenal player and leader for Wigan. You know, I would have been a big fan of Rugby League growing up and I would have watched uh, his team and the team before he came into that team. And there's some very, very special players on both coasts that have come out of that environment. And I think his his roots and his DNA are very, very uh, strong and he brings that with him in his coaching. He's very humble, he's very down-to-earth and he's very... Capable of putting his hand up if he feels he hasn't got it, gotten it right, and he's got it right more often, far more often than anyone else. Uh, but I think he's very approachable, and that's what the players I think admire him. And uh, he doesn't mind probably thinking outside the box and doing things differently, and having a go and playing with a smile on your face and having a look and backing his players. And uh, you know, I think the good thing is. He is developing his team, most definitely, but to develop his team, he, I think he's created an environment where players aren't just going to get thrown a jersey. You have to go out to improve yourself and train, and the best players want to play with the best players. So this is an ultra ruthless environment as well, top-level sport. But what he's doing now is getting results where very few people have got them. And I think building for the World Cup can start again because... We're still a summer before a World Cup. There's another 15 months. The energy and the momentum could be completely different than another 12-month cycle. So um, there are obviously a few positions where the deck uh, is uh, a little bit weaker, but that's what happens when you've world class position or players in that position, and that will always be the case in that, in, in, that, in the top teams around the world. So what needs to be is that you need your 23 To be incredibly good to be your 20 for your 23 to be incredibly good Um, your numbers you know 23 to 40 or 23 to 32 have to be uh so competitive
4: yeah it does seem that he's getting the best out of these players and johnny sexton someone that we didn't think we would see um in all three of the the games is he in the form of his life at the minute ronan
0: yeah i think so i think you know i think johnny feeds off. people writing him off you know and I think he's shown that but he needs to seek his own motivation going forward as well because he's playing the game brilliantly at the minute and he's reading it I think a lot quicker than uh, even four or five years ago Um, and it's not easy to you know do that and you know I mean he he backed up uh, the the first test, the second test and third test at 37 years of age doing that. is uh, is a huge feat. uh, And mentally, uh, to be able to do that, uh, speaks volumes for where his, I suppose, uh, mentality is at the minute. Uh, But you can see that he's very happy with the environment, very happy with the coaching group. Everything seems to be aligned. And I think that's when you see the number 10 in their best vein is, is... when the I suppose the camp is buzzing, your ten looks better than he actually is, and then when it's the opposite, he looks worse than he actually is. Uh, but there's no doubt about Johnny's individual game is very, very strong at the minute. But uh, I think uh, what also um, would be important for me to say is that the coaching group has to has the the environment and the team humming. Be it Andy Farr, I think you know what i mean obviously i'm biased but paul o'connell's work is spent all over this team this guy is um, an incredibly interesting uh, person never mind coach player uh, always i suppose seeking a little entry into a subject matter that may not be evident to other people and would always explore to the to the nth degree and if he can find some joy in that matter he'll uh He'll develop it, he'll analyse it, and then he'll potentially use it. So a fascinating, deep thinker on the game. And um, you could see, I suppose, his habits and his methods uh, all over the forward play the last day. You look at it like you need a set piece, you need a driving mall and uh, you need a good kind of uh, rock game. And Ireland were exemplary in, in both departments.
4: Yeah, I think it's crucial to have people like Paul around the setup. And when we speak about the ten position, where is the pecking order now for you? Uh, we've seen Kieran Frawley come in, um, obviously Joey Carberry as well. For you, where do you see that pecking order?
0: I think it's um, the pecking order remains the same. You have Johnny Sexton, and Joey Carberry, and then I think you have uh, a decision of probably where is uh Kieran Ferrali going to play because if he wants to challenge to play international rugby at 10 he has to be playing club it's mm. it's too difficult at the top level to be a hybrid and the fact that if he's playing more of his club rugby at, at 12 for Leinster and hoping to start test games for Ireland at 10 and I would say that would be uh, a bit of a long shot Uh so he'll also be I suppose um From what I kind of uh, see from the outset, I think he'll always put his team first. But sometimes he needs to uh, have a word with his coach and say, well, if he wants to play 10, then he wants to be considered to play 10. But Leicester are extremely competitive in that position. So it's it's a difficult conundrum for for him or for, for others to sort.
3: Well, can I ask you about the All Blacks head coach situation then? There's obviously been uh, a whole pile of written about it over the last week. And in fairness, the All Blacks have kind of thrown a bit of petrol on it as well, saying that they're going to announce uh, a review and they are going to do a review. The, the sense seems to be that Ian Foster has a couple of games against South Africa at the start of the rugby championship to, to potentially save his job. I, I know that that's not necessarily the All Blacks way, but is, is your read on it that, that he is in a bit of trouble if those South Africa
0: games don't go his way? Um, yeah, potentially with the results, but I suppose there's one thing that, um, in, in in this position, um, he's, he's under, under pressure from what has happened in this series. I understand what he's going through. I'm a head coach and uh, I'm not going to speculate or give my opinion on whether he should be, uh, kept in the, in the, in the job or not. I just think that it's, um, A difficult, a difficult question, and um, he's in a difficult period. But as he said in his press conference, he is resilient. He is a deep strategist, and um, you know that's the the ruthless side of the game, and the fact that um, when results don't go your way, be it me, be it him. Sometimes people make decisions to take out of that position, but I don't have a have a strong opinion on that. I guess
3: just to kind of stick with that, uh, like I mean the the idea that it all falls in the head coach probably is is not necessarily something that you could overly say either. Like, I mean, the, you, you could make a, a case one way or the other. There's obviously been talk around uh, who might potentially come in. Like, as a head coach in that situation, what is that pressure like? I know, just not even from your own perspective as a head coach, but even just being in New Zealand, you will have seen the relationship between that team and the public. Is it a case that every single result that doesn't go their way is almost like a doomsday scenario? Uh, or is that just putting too fine a point on us?
0: Yeah, no, I, I, it, it's very different in there. They absolutely, uh, uh, the, you know, the mood of the nation is determined by how the All Blacks play, and that and, and that still applies. Obviously, there's probably uh, a few other distractions in, in, in New Zealand, but I would not underestimate uh, um the role that uh, the All Blacks have have on the on the mood of the nation, and uh, yeah, there's a massive focus on on, on that uh, position. But also, um, that's that's what happens when you when you go into sport and interrupt rugby into management. You like you are the head coach. the assistants are completely different, and the pressure on the head coach is completely different. And that's a an unwritten rule, and that that will never change. And we're aware of what happens and what happens if results don't go your way but you have to you have to accept that and accept that it's not a personal attack on you this is the business and this is what happens if you're underperforming and you know there's a moral contract written up um, before you sign any physical contract that um, you mean if the boss isn't happy or if the supporters aren't happy uh, usually it coincides with someone getting fired and that's that's the cotton trust of, of what managers do, what we do.
4: And two teams that are going to hopefully perform this weekend to the best of their ability is Kerry, and Galway. Will you be watching on at the All Ireland final, Ronan?
0: Oh, will I watch? I'll be glued to it.
4: <laughs> Give us a prediction.
0: Oh, Jesus I'm hoping you um, um I know someone is listening, but. Um, <laughs> Um, oh,
4: <laughs> it's not easy,
0: <laughs> no, it isn't easy, but it's not easier. Uh, I'll tell you next week
4: what you'll tell me the prediction next week.
0: <laughs> no, I'll tell you next week why I'm uh, why I'm sitting on the fence. I've uh, okay, I have an interest, I have okay, an interest in, uh, in um, I'd be a big, big fan of porn Joyce. so I. Uh, I chat to Park so. Um,
4: yeah, he's phenomenal.
0: I'm um, I'm west of Ireland this weekend. Was
3: was was Sean e. Shea wasted uh, to football? He could have been a great number ten for Munster. You suspect? <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: imagine seeing that in Tallaght Park. Because hmm. he'd have, have twenty eight thousand people there. How many does he in Fitzgerald Stadium? You get what twelve fifteen thousand on D. I I know if 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 Corker could run and you could get 40. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really joking, what a kick, what a kick
4: Oh it was amazing, yeah I seen you tweeting after it, uh, it was incredible, 55 metres out, a bit of a tricky wind Yeah just, just amazing stuff
1: Well it's the
0: same too, though, uh, for, there was a little bit of um, dismay about uh, what game went to penalties
4: uh, Irma go away.
0: Oh my God, that was it. But like, it's not a lottery. People have to understand that it's a little bit like Sean having the mental capacity at 80 minutes to be able to kick his same kick, be it the first minute or second minute or the 82nd minute. It's This is what you prep for. This is These are the golden moments. And the, the, the penalty shootout isn't a lottery. It's a fixed it's skill. Yes, you have a goalkeeper, but usually if you commit to the kick and you put it where you want to, the green flag is raised, depending on Hawkeye. But um, <laughs> um, so yeah, I think it's uh, it's been a really exciting um, football championship. I, I've been glued to it every weekend, and um, yeah, know well, maybe I might be for the summer. We might have a new uh, football correspondent.
4: Oh yeah. <laughs> Is that you running? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't sound surprised.
0: <laughs> I have a failure medal last thing. Oh yeah? Yeah.
4: Oh Jesus.
0: B- Bishopstone.
4: Very good. Very good. Where did you play running?
0: Oh, corner forward.
4: Same as me. Uh,
0: you're corner forward.
4: Yeah, yeah. Number thirteen.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I modelled myself a little bit on Mike Frank Russell. Do
4: you know who I love? Porek Joyce. Loved his oh, dummies.
0: <laughs>
4: yeah. He used to replicate that. Well, he used to try anyway.
0: <laughs> well, he was a left footer, yeah?
4: Yeah, I'm left foot. Oh. There you go now. Why <laughs> <Gee. laughs>
0: Mike Frank? Mike Frank, yeah. Loved him. What, what, what about him? him? Just... Made it. Made Gaelic football look so easy.
4: brilliant, Ronan. Well, I, I, we, I'd rather not wrap this conversation, but I have to. Thanks so much. <laughs> Great chat right. to you.
0: <laughs> have a good weekend. See you guys. Bye bye.
4: Thanks, Emil. Ronan there, fascinating as ever. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Back after the ads with an All-Ireland Football Final special, Quick Picks. We're heading back to Kerry now where Owen caught up with Dermot Butler, who is Principal of the Secondary School in Canberra, which produced six members of Kerry's squad playing in the All-Ireland Final this weekend. And Owen asked the key question of the Principal. See you back after this.
6: Who was the most academically talented of the crop of footballers. Oh God, what a really good question. Well, I, I would say this much, and genuinely say this: those who are involved in team sports manage to get a lifestyle balance as well somewhere, and they are focused, and they they don't forget about their academic side of things as well. Um, Stephen does the answer to the question. I would say Stephen really? O'Brien. Yeah, yeah, he was he was a really good student in school, and the rest of them were good as well. tyke and Shawnee. I better mention them all. No, or I'll be in big yeah. trouble, won't I? Like you know. Um, but they all they, they all were able to balance you know their sport and i think that comes from playing with team sports as well like you know that if they're involved in team they've goals and stuff like that set so yeah no it's a really trick question doesn't it yeah yeah it's a the
3: horrible <laughs> one but sorry, i'm glad you actually answered it and um, What's interesting, and this has been something that it was Michael Meehan who commented on it on one of our shows last week, the, the lack of buzz in schools because obviously you're, you're closed at the moment. What uh, What's your opinion on all that? Obviously you would have experienced a good few All-Irelands in the 2000s and sure in the 2010s as, as principal of this school. Yeah,
6: uh, yeah it is a pity. Because like, I mean, can you just imagine uh, if we were all back in school like, and you were interviewing me today, the whole school would probably be out in green and gold here or something like that. Um, so it is disappointing but it is what it is and look July it's brilliant there's a great atmosphere in Kenmare and um yeah it's a pity that the school isn't open f- to to build up that atmosphere as well in school like you know but um please it god a difference, like in and in terms of people getting inspired like i know that
3: sometimes gets overplayed but even in a very small way does it make a difference having oh. schools open during all
6: ireland in 2019 and we had it twice because it went to a replay and whatever else you know i mean the excitement about the all ireland final in schools like is just there you can feel it there's tension you go into to the match you know, we've colors day here and everyone dresses in their carry jerseys except for the odd few rebels that <laughs> Frequent us here, you know. Um, But um, no, yeah, you do miss that, all right, like, you know. But but it is what it is at the moment, like, you know. And if we're lucky enough to win, and please God, we will be. um, you can come down again for the homecoming because that will be really special. Like you know, if we manage to win.
3: Uh, what I find really interesting when I walk around Khmer is that uh, nobody's been uh, petty enough to just put down the Khmer lads. It's the Khmer lads and the Temple No lads on the on the same posters. Is, is that just you know a postponement of local divides here, or or what is the relationship like between Temple
6: No and, and Khmer generally on the football pitch? Uh, well, I'm from Tralee, so there was always good local rivalries there between Aston Stacks and Kearns or Ahelies and. John Mitchells, maybe, and now Nigel. So, yeah, it's there in local rivalries. Uh, Temple Nove versus Kenmare is probably the big one. Two tribes go to war, as they say, but uh, when when they come into this school and they play under a public school in Vrishgainna Umbrella, um, that's been great. And there's no problem with the players. And, you know, it's it's built up and it's... it's, it's it is what it is, you know. Um, it's good. It probably drives them on, you know. Um, but it is there and it's obvious that it's there at times, but... Yeah, most people just get on with it and, and certainly from the players point of view they're delighted to play for their clubs if kenmare are playing temple no that's a big big rivalry match you know um being an outsider is is, is probably a bit easier to to watch it like you know but yeah. uh um certainly not can get involved in some of, of of what goes on there like you know but um look it is it's fantastic though as well and you know all these guys are great buddies outside of it like you know so there's no worry. They're all playing for Kerry C- C- this weekend, and they've all played, as I said, for public school in Farskano over the years as well. Like you know, OTB AM with Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with
3: exfoliating bar.
2: Some of these critics, these pundits, I absolutely adore them, lads. I have unbelievable time from, but they're, they're a great bunch, but
7: it's not acceptable. for. Like to play the hard man when, when they're on it. It's not very pleasant when you're trying to manage a team. All you're looking for is a bit of civility and a bit of decency, but they just dismiss you like, like you know, you have nothing to do with the bloody occasion.
4: Yes, my favourite part of the week it is the GA quick picks. Can you believe it? We are at the All Ireland Senior Football Final. It's Kerry versus Donegal. Just the one match in town, and we are going to see where everyone has gone this week. It's such a tough one to call. Tommy Rooney, good morning.
8: Morning, Ashleen. How are you?
4: Good. Now, not too bad. Let's have a look straight away. We'll get straight into it where everybody has gone. Is there any surprises in here? Full house. So Tommy Kerry, Will Kerry, Owen Kerry, Adrian Kerry, and Ashling is Kerry. Woo, I thought we might have one Galway. Yeah, I thought maybe Adrian might have went in there with a Galway. He likes to stir things up a little bit, doesn't he? <laughs> what do you reckon, nope. Tommy?
8: No comment. He's not here to defend himself.
4: <laughs> so was it an easy decision for you?
8: Um, like, I think it's going to be a close game. I think it's going to be tight. I, like, and I, and I said that on the Football Pod during the week and I said, still it's like Kerry by five. I think this game is going to hit a a messy period with about 20, 25 minutes to go when it's going to be in the melting pot. And I just think Kerry are going to pick up on what they did against Dublin and get through it. I just think that's going to happen. I don't think they're going to collapse.
4: What is the messy period?
8: When Galway still have a chance <laughs> and they dragged them back into it. The way the Dubs dragged themselves back into that game against Kerry the last day and it looked like Kerry collapsed all the players around them pretty much. Um, they couldn't get a score apart from Potty Clifford and Sean O'Shea steps up with that free at the very, very end. So I think that Galway are going to be in this game. I just think Kerry have enough on the pitch
4: yeah I don't think Kerry would have went away from that game saying that they put in their best performance I think they would have liked to have have won out that game by at least four or five more and for Khan not to be playing for Dublin as well I thought it was a massive thing imagine they had Khan so I don't think it's all plain sailing I don't think this is as straightforward um, as maybe some think you know I think it's definitely going to go down to the wire how are you feeling Owen?
3: Like if five points uh, from uh, if a prediction of five points. from this weekend is is sort of a hammering, isn't it? Like given the way everybody expects. In an game, order on the final. Go, yeah. yeah, yeah, it,
8: it yeah. kind of is on. Like,
3: yeah, I just I, yeah. I think that's a healthy enough one. But like, I mean, I'm not I'm not confident enough to to say it'll be five points. And I think one one of the really concerning things from the second half uh, was actually you know, just Kerry's attack. And and I think that maybe the, the wind in the hill and because Dublin were struggling to find their range in the first half we've kind of got lulled into this narrative around Kerry in that second half that they just didn't have their shooting boots on, that David Clifford had two wides and therefore Kerry didn't have their shooting boots on. That actually wasn't the case whatsoever. I watched the game back and that felt the case at the time. But as the lads have mentioned in the football pod multiple times, the reality was that Kerry just lost their shape completely. They actually didn't have a whole pile of, of opportunities. Obviously, you've got... Kiffer going wide twice, which is big and memorable, and Stephen O'Brien picking the ball uh, off the ground in the box, which is memorable, and Dierman O'Connor going short. But, but other than that, it was just actually maybe a lack of opportunities or a lack of good quality chances, which defined that second half for Kerry. So that's a real concern. That's how they left their semifinal. And that's what, what you'd be really, really worried about because their attack is the thing that supposedly marks them out from the rest of the teams in the country. I think as well, when we're building up this game this weekend, I just think none of the defenders have got enough credit at all like there could be a case where you know the, the the Galway full back line has a really good game as opposed to David Clifford and, and Sean O'Shea being off. Like I mean, they've got to an All Ireland final. Like why can't Sean Kelly and Liam Silk actually and Glyn, actually just have these brilliant games at the weekend? And it doesn't necessarily need to be down to Kerry having an off day. And by a similar token. Why can't Jason Foley just go out and beat Damien Comer? Why does it have to be down to these forwards having an off day? I think we've sort of forgotten that these are potential all-star full-back lines. There will be all-stars handed out to some of these full-backs. And I think that they've been underrated so far. And I think that, that we still need to pay attention to how good these defences are as individuals. Yes, we've got two good systems, but I think there are some fantastic individuals in those full-back lines. And I think that's going to be a really enjoyable part of the weekend, those individual matchups. Because, again without repeating myself, I think the narrative has been, God, how do Galway cope and how do they manage to, to stop the bleeding against the Kerry attack? And similarly with Kerry, it's like, how do they handle Comer? How do they handle Walsh? How do they stop the bleeding when the, the Galway forwards will surely run rings around them? I'm not sure that's going to happen. I think there's going to be a couple of individual battles that are going to be won by the defenders in the full back line this weekend.
8: Oh, and just on that, I actually think for both of these teams, the system is more important than the individual matchups. And I, it, It's true? I've, I, I think... Yeah, I just think it's hard to call some of those matchups, and it's hard to predict what's going to happen. Like, I know you're right in saying that Jason Foley could have a match with a performance of Damian Comer, but I'm not sure that's going to happen. I think if Kerry are going to stop Damian Comer, it's the system around them. It's starving them of, of possession around the D. And likewise with David Clifford, if it's Liam Silk or Sean Kelly who's man marking him, it's trying to get David Clifford out of the scoring range, but does David Clifford even have a scoring range? Like, a. He's the type of footballer that can score on a half a step or two steps. He's so hard to stop, Black. Like. I,
3: I totally agree that the system is something that defines this defence, but I also think that within the system, I'm expecting a couple of big individual performances this weekend. We've seen it in the past. We've seen uh, we've seen the the old Tom O'Sullivan get man of the match in an All-Ireland Final against Cork, and sometimes a cornerback can just step up, mark his man out of it, and come home with the the, the uh, man of the match award. And if we're expecting a cagey affair, that would play into the fact that we will not have one individual who's going to kick 1-5 potentially this weekend. I know that's famous last words and Comer's going to score 2-4 now after saying that. And I'm also concerned about, you know, a clean sweep of uh, predictions here. This is like worse than the D2 advertisement, to yeah. be honest. like And uh, I'm personally on an absolutely horrific run of the predictions right now. So you've all got on a terrible bandwagon <laughs> by following my.
4: It'll be all your fault now, if they lose. <laughs> so, Tommy, how do you think Kerry will cope with this system that that Galway play because they haven't really came up against it very often yet in this championship. That defensive setup,
8: I think Kerry will will be slicker and move the ball faster than Derry will have. Uh, I don't think Derry had the same options that Kerry have. Obviously, um, I think we might see a slightly similar game to the Armagh game. There's a bit of chaos there. Like, like let's not get ourselves here. The, the Galway system isn't perfect yet been very good it's been very impressive but they creaked in the last 10 minutes against mayo mayo nearly got back in that game and mayo don't have the shooters as we famously know that the likes of Kerry to have Roscommon were nine points down and they nearly got it back Armagh dragged it back to a draw into extra time Derry just didn't have the options up top they didn't have the variety in their attack even though they hit big scores all year we just suspected that was going to happen so Galway, as much, as good as their as defensive system has to be, they also have to click going forward. Like That is so important for Galway this weekend. And same with Kerry, I actually don't think, I think their defence, there's that statistic, they've only conceded two goals. One of them was a break, Costello, brilliant finish. The other one was McCurry's wonder goal down in the league. Two goals from play. But I don't think they've been tested. Really don't. And I think, as you mentioned earlier on, Conn missing the last day. I don't think that means that Dublin win by a point or Dublin win by five. I think it changes the dynamic of the game completely. I actually think for about 50 minutes the last time, Kerry were maybe seven, eight points better than Dublin. But Dublin dragged them. This is one of the greatest Dublin sides we've ever seen. They've still got the hallmarks of that team. They've still got many of those players that are played in finals. There was no surprise that Dublin were able to drag themselves back into that. So, go on on. Like, just on on the point of not being tested, like,
3: so, the, I, I agree done. with that on, on, on a wider sense, but just in with regards to, 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 to the defence, Tommy. So this is something that was picked up on earlier in the league where this new um, system had been brought into play. So I think it is somewhat relevant. It's not totally relevant, but I think it's somewhat relevant to look at their um, defensive showings all throughout the year when Kerry were scoring goals. What were they doing at the, the other end of the pitch? And this goes all the way back to playing an entire Division One campaign and conceding one goal from open play. I know it's not the same, but also you got to remember that Dublin have been scoring goals. They did not score five goals in the Leinster final this year as well. Dublin have been but, creating goal-scoring opportunities. That, that we can't. And, and, and they had two court, sorry, they, they, they had one chance. They did, you wouldn't even say the Costello goal was a chance in the All Ireland final. The only goal chance they had was James McCarthy, and uh, it was straight at the goalkeeper. Uh, had, uh, yeah, and Mayo had. Yeah, and Mayo had one goal chance, which was Kevin McLaughlin. So, so I, w- I would say they've given away two goal chances. In, in two games against Mayo and against Dublin. I know Mayo aren't what they once were, neither are Dublin, but they are still, they are still in the top five teams in the country. Like, I mean, it, when you compare them to, to some of the teams that, that Galway have come up against as well, I, that's, like, that's... I don't know. I, I think the defensive thing is, is, is a real thing to, to cling to for, from a Kerry perspective. I don't think the jury is out whatsoever on that defence. I think the question is, can Galway get around what is proven to be a, an excellent um, defence when it comes to stopping goals?
8: I would have, I would have big questions over that because it's a different sport in February, and March. It's a different sport in Munster. Like when it gets what to Co. What about
3: the last two games then?
8: But you've gone up against a Mayo attack minus Tommy Conroy, Ryan O'Donoghue, Killian O'Connor who hasn't looked right all year. Like a Mayo attack that a Jack Carney is a full forward, a midfielder turned into a full forward, whipped after whatever thirty five minutes. Kevin McLaughlin had the chance. Kevin McLaughlin butchered that chance. Should have been in the back of the net. Uh, yeah. Like like Dublin didn't create a single goal chance against Cork so Cork shut down Dublin in Crow Park it'd be different if Cork shut down Dublin in Parky rain they shut them down in Crow Park they were blunt that Dublin full forward line was pathetic the last day it, it was very poor their runs the the shape that they had they couldn't get into the game at all Rock barely touched the ball that day
2: mm.
8: like it was very poor the Dublin attack Costello's break that goal doesn't come unless it's a Kerry turnover on their own 45 like Dublin smelt blood they went for it. It was a savage finish. Used the defender as a shield and put it in. But I really, really don't think they have been tested. Really don't what, think they've been tested. What are you seeing in terms of the concerns then with regards to what Kerry have shown? there? it sounds
3: like that you are expecting them to It's, it's, be it's not something. that I'm
8: con- It's not that I'm concerned. It's that I'm just not buying it yet. It's just not buying it. Like who? Who have they gone up against? Yeah, dub- Dublin and
3: Mayo. Like I mean, who? Who would you prefer? Yeah, dublin Mayo up minus. Minus yeah, their, yeah, no, I, I get that. I get that. Who, their, who would
8: you who would you prefer them to go up against? Like who who is? Well, now the pressure obviously... is on this weekend. They're going up against someone like Damien Comer, who's in the yeah, form yeah. of his life. Rob Finnerty, who's been picking off points left, right, and centre. You know, look, Gary put Chris McCabe and Rob Finnerty. Okay, oh, so, like...
4: last word from Owen, go ahead.
3: <laughs> no, but uh, no, the question is, Tommy. Like, I, I get that, but like we're talking about an All Ireland finalist this weekend, so yeah, who who would be obviously Galway are going to be a bigger test than everybody else. Like, I mean, I'm not arguing that whatsoever, but. Is there any other team out there that you would have liked to have seen Kerry go up against that would give you a better idea of how that defence is going up against? Because I would still consider, I know that they're missing players, both teams, but I would still consider Mayo and Dublin to be two pretty good teams, with two pretty good attacks. Like You could count on one hand the number of attacks that would
8: be—that would give you a better idea of how Kerry are holding up, no? Or, or, or Dublin, Dublin say- McConn, Owen. Like, Dublin like, McConn, like 100% Dublin <laughs> McConn. Like, we saw what Dublin did against Kallair, Dublin mm-hmm. McConn. 100%. He's a, he's a transformative footballer.
4: Absolutely. Yeah. We do have a leaderboard so we're going to have a quick look at that before we have to wrap here. So, whoo! Ashling, 78% Tommy. How do you like that? How is that,
8: how is that possible? I <laughs> overtook you last week.
4: Because the maths was done wrong. <laughs> oh,
8: that's alright. Uh, okay.
4: Well, this is what I'm told here. Uh, Tommy, you're 75%. We will on 72%. Owen 64% and Adrian on 64%. That doesn't make
8: sense. There's something fishy going on here. You may as well go for a score prediction this weekend then and whoever wins, it wins it.
4: <laughs> I know. We're happy you go don't tell me. Score,
8: score prediction, go on.
4: No, but like, yeah, but that doesn't be half, that's not how we decide sure this. you didn't
8: even make any predictions at the start. So you're actually missing games as well.
4: What do you mean? And what games did I not make a prediction?
8: Did you not miss the first couple of games?
4: No, Tommy. I did not miss. It. You actually missed a few of the, the games, if I remember no, correctly. I don't think so. Owen, did he actually miss a few of the games?
8: He did. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Thank we, you. Which we games?
8: into things. Which games?
4: you were in New York. You're living it up.
8: I get my quick picks. I always text them in.
4: No, I'm getting. Uh, they're shaking heads out here in the production box.
8: Ah, uh, not buying that.
4: Yeah. When see, when I was in New York, I text Column here and told him my quick picks. <laughs>
8: I'm pretty sure I did. I'll go back and check that.
4: You sound uh, you sound a bit bitter here, Tommy. You don't like losing, do you?
8: No, I don't like losing.
4: <laughs> oh well. Anyway, we will see. We will we'll come and do this all again next Friday, and we'll have. What do you think about Leoport. Kerry's attack
8: and Kerry's defense? Do you think they've been tested?
4: Would they say that again. Sorry. Do
8: you think Kerry's defense have been tested?
4: I don't think either of these teams are, are their systems are fully up to scratch yet. I think they're both getting better game on game. I was surprised that Kerry weren't better against Dublin. So, yeah, I don't know if they fully have been tested. Look at the games I suppose they've had. Yes, a little bit against Mayo, maybe for maybe 40 minutes or so. But other than that, then against Dublin. But again, I thought they were going to win by quite a bit more, considering there was no con. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, Galway, I'd be very afraid of, of their system, how they set up. I think for Kerry, they're going to need to move quick. As you said, they can't be like Derry. They can't be patient on the ball. They have to take a risk. They have to let that ball in quick, try and hit Clifford as soon as, as they break because I think they'll get bottled up again once they once they break and Galway get back. So yeah. It, I, I think
3: so, sorry, Ashley. I think, I think there's like two things that are possibly true here. I and mean, we just don't know. I mean, we'll know on Sunday. A, your theory is absolutely correct that Kerry have not been tested. Galway will score a couple of goals and we'll be like, okay, we anybody who bought into the Kerry defence was wrong. Uh, or B, the, there's a possibility here that Kerry have looked like they haven't been tested because of their defence against scoring goals, where they are happy enough to let teams play in front of them. And when it comes to goal chances, that is the very thing that they want to prevent. And that is why it looks like Kerry have not really been put under the pump when it comes to the goal scoring. Maybe that's whole part of, of how the defence looks. As I said it out loud, that feels like a bit of a watery argument. So maybe you will be no maybe the former is, is going to be exactly the thing that happens this weekend. My um my opinion is different to that. My opinion is that that this defense will hold up against goals, against goals. Um but I do think they'll give up one, maybe two goal chances. And who knows, maybe Comer, maybe Comer's clinical enough to take both of them and and if they manage to Get two chances. Maybe that's all Galway need, or maybe I'm wrong completely. And maybe they'll give up like ten goal chances, and it's just back to the way it was in 2019 again, or, or last year. It's it's
8: so much better than it was last year. On I'll give you that. It's so much better than it was last year.
4: Big time. You can see Paddy Talia's come in, and you can see that maybe Ulster-like sort of defending. Um, it's brilliant to see. You definitely can see a big, big improvement against Tyrone last year. You could see that they were opened up. So absolutely, I can definitely see that it, it's a hell of a lot better. There's a lot of improvements. But I think we'll find out on Sunday, um, whether it's fully been tested or not, and where they're at. So that is your critics.
2: <laughs> have unbelievable time from but they're, they're a great point, but it's not acceptable.
8: OTB AM on OTB Sports Radio,
2: Ireland's first and only sports radio station.
4: Yes, a fiery quick picks there from Tommy and Owen. We will get back to all of that next week, we promise. And OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Now we're back to Kerry again, Owen. You met Kerry superfan Dan Dwyer. Tell us all about it.
3: Yeah, so uh, we, we heard a little bit earlier from Johnny Cullity. Uh, we went up the road then to from Killarney to Kilcommon to meet Dan Dwyer, who has been going to All-Ireland's since 1959, so 59 was Kerry Galway. It was his his first All Ireland. I don't think he's missing All Ireland ever since then. He gets to every game and uh, he sits in and around the Cusick Stand where I sit with our with our season tickets. And he'll be there around uh, section three hundred six, three hundred five, smoking his pipe before the game on uh, on Sunday. If anybody wants to go up and and say hello, an absolute gent. And uh, yeah, I went to his house to meet him yesterday. Okay, we are here in Kilcommon in Kerry with one of Kerry's greatest and longest-running fans, Dan Dwyer. Dan, how are you getting on? Fine, thank you. Owen. welcome to Kilcommon. Thank you very much. Uh, I was just saying, I've come here directly from Johnny Callity's house. Uh, the great uh, Kerry goalkeeper played for Kerry in, in both codes, and it turns out that you and Johnny actually worked with each other.
7: We walked. Uh, we worked together for thirty-five years. Oh, really? Thirty-five years, yes. And a, a nice man to work with. Yeah. A gentleman.
3: St. Finian's Hospital in Killarney, the one that overlooks Fitzgerald
7: Stadium. This closed now in about 10 years and nothing done with it so far. The
3: reason why I wanted to come out and have a chat with you, Dan, is just because of the fact that you've been going to Kerry games for so long. So when was your first All-Ireland?
7: My first All-Ireland was in 59 Kerry in Galway and the score was 3-7 to Kerry, 1-4 to Galway, but uh, I was only 13 and a half and I went with a friend of mine from Park Road, a man called Jack Ryan, who was now in London. And I remember going up on the train that morning. That was my first final. And uh, I suppose I remember it for the reason that Mick O'Connell was centre field and he was getting rough time from uh, this, uh, what's his name, the Galway player. Impressive. No, no, Sean Postle and Stockwell, they were just finishing up. Wow. That time there were two great players there. Uh, oh, he was a big, strong for the field. But in here, uh, Connell got calf injured and they brought out Tom Long, who was playing the the 40. They brought Long out. Oh, Frank Ivers was the name of the man. He was marking O'Connell. He was a big, strong man. He was an army man. But I remember they bringing out O'Connell. They bring out Tom Long out of the field and uh, he rectified the situation. And uh, they won well. They won well the same day, yeah. Uh,
3: we're well respected at that time.
7: You see, they had a lot of good players, like, as I say, Apostle now, who a lot of people in Ireland will tell you was probably one of the best all round footballers they ever saw. But he was just going off at of that stage. You know, he was well into his top days, And uh, Stockwood as well. But they were known, as you know, as the Tomb Twins. And uh, they were respected and known all over Ireland. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were great players. But that was my first final now, it was 63 years ago. But uh, I tried to recall some of the, but I know the man that went with me on the train that year and we were, of course, our first time in Dublin, excited coming home on the train, yeah.
3: Was it usually the train that you got up and down to those matches in those days?
7: Yes, yes. There'd be a couple of trains leaving Killarney and arriving home that evening, it would be in Killarney about half, 10 or 11 o'clock. And the trains used to be packed that time. All the people from South Korea, um, they'd be they drive up to Killarney and get on the, uh, on the thing and then they have to drive home again down to Port McGee and within Shireland and all the places, but uh, there wouldn't be as many going now. Nowadays, uh, with the, some of them will go from Faden by airport, more of them will drive it, and more goes in the buses, carries water's bus, who might travel with now most of the time, but that time to all the, all the train.
3: Can I ask you then, Then there's... Um...
7: Living in Dublin,
3: people like to give me a bit of stick because Kerry people don't travel to matches there, or so they like to say. What's been your experience down through the years of the level of attendance from Kerry people at games in Croke Park?
7: Well, I suppose there's a point in it. Like, suppose, you know, if Kerry were playing the quarter final of the all Ireland Championship above Dublin, you might have only maybe about 10,000 Kerry people. Whereas when it comes to the final, you'll probably have twenty five and 30,000 because a lot of the people living in Dublin from Kerry, they will want to go to the final, and they seem to get t- tickets maybe easier than some of the people that are going the whole time. But, uh, like, I'd say that is true now, like, if you take the cock huddles, if the cock huddles are going well, even in almost the final, you could have 20, 25,000 cock people, and if it was an all-level final, uh, me or the same way, me or I would say me probably the best followers that I have ever come across. But the Real Kerry G9 follower will go to all the Championship games and most of the league games if he can at all. The fella that's kind of a, we call it a watery fella he'll only go to a game that he think will be a good game.
3: <laughs> uh, I, I don't get the sense that you're a, a watery fella at all. You go to all most of the games, yeah.
7: Well, I go to all the um, I go to all the Championship games and uh, most of the league games. I would say that I have never missed an all Ireland final, or a semi-final, since, since 59, that's 63 years ago. The only game I missed was Karina and the championship there a number of years ago. The Kerry beat Armagh, the Darden got a goal in the last three minutes to clinch it. I was in America at that time. I, see, yeah. I was in America on holidays. So I missed that game, but that was the only, that was the only championship game I missed there. I don't think I missed many league games either. Yeah. No, I go to the mall if I
3: can at all. What's the, what's the plan for the weekend, any traditions around All-Ireland Weekend from your perspective
7: that, that you tend to do other than the match? Uh, no, well I'm going up by bus, I go over to carry supporters, sometimes I go up with them, more times I go by train and more times I go by car. But I usually go over to carry supporters, we'll be leaving for the phone now, Saturday morning, Sunday morning at 7 o'clock. And we'll arrive to the stale about half, ten or quarter to eleven, and we'll have our breakfast there and then we'll head on for Mountjoy Square, park the bus, and walk around the city for a while, and then into the game. And on our way home then that night, around half 7 or 8 o'clock, we'll be calling for our lunch to, to put in still. So that will be our day. We'll arrive home then, probably into five and 4, maybe 11 o'clock, half 11. And then if we win, of course, the celebration's Monday night, and that will be only starting. If they do win, it will be going down to Kinmere, and I hope to be going down there if I'm alive. share even though I don't know him personally, know his mother. I'd be going down there and I have a habit of going to places um, when they do when the summer goes. I actually went down to when Dickle Sylvan was captain in two six. I drove down a bad night, I had a mini car at the time. I drove down to Drummond and then I come home that night the storm was so bad that it was actually rocking the car. And it was around three o'clock in the morning. But it was a great night. I mean, it was great to think in a small club like the Drummond, that you were the captain of the Kerry team and you were the trainer, Jack O'Connor. I know both them. And I did think it would be a great night. And there was a couple of more from Killianna there as well. But I enjoyed that night better than if I was over in the middle of 20,000. Yeah. Meeting people and South Kerry people in general are very, very friendly. and. Um, I enjoyed the night immensely. Then when Dadden won it, when Dadden was captain in North 9, there was a great night in Limbaix. There was thousands turning up there that night. So I do go to a lot of these functions too. I, I like meeting people and having the crack and talking about olden days and who's good enough for the him team and who isn't, and till all part of the carry way.
4: Guest Kerry superfan Dan Dwyer there, and you can catch the full interview across our social channels and on the OTB Sports Podcast Network. I know, and Owen, that wasn't the only Kerry legend you met. You also met with Mickey Neto Sullivan.
3: Yeah, it should, it should probably uh, like Mickey Neto was probably the first person I met yesterday. And obviously, there's been a bit of a, a Kinmare uh, tint to the show this morning, and that was probably deliberate. You can't really get around everywhere in Kerry in the space of a, of a few hours. So, decided to do a few pieces in Kinmare and, and work my way up from there just on the back of, obviously, uh, O'Shea's kick in the semi-final and just the, the general influence that that area of Kerry has had on the team, obviously, with Temple No as well as Khmer with O'Shea and Stephen O'Brien, and then Temple Noe with uh, the two Spillands, with uh, Tyg Morley and, and Gavin Crowley on the team. So it's just an extraordinary um, contribution from such a, a small club in, in Temple Noe to the Kerry team. So that area is really hopping right now, and one of their most famous players before the current year is, of course, Mickey Ned O'Sullivan, so I went into his house and uh, we had a great chat about his own uh, playing days, about some of his coaching. He coached the Springboks at, at one stage which we get into in this well, conversation, and then we, uh, of course, preview the big game on Sunday. Okay, we have made it to Kinmare, and I'm delighted to say that Mickey Ned O'Sullivan has welcomed us into his home. Mickey, it's great to see you. How are you keeping? Excellent,
2: excellent. Looking forward to Sunday, and uh... Hopefully we'll have the right result.
3: Yeah, I I decided to to give you a shout and to come down to Kinmare because Kinmare is really on vogue right now. Not that you need any reminding about Sean O'Shea or Stephen O'Brien and even the Temple No Lads, your your neighbours here, but it really feels that the the club and the clubs around this area are on a high right now, especially after Shawnee's kick the last day. Yes,
2: there's great excitement and euphoria building and uh, you have actually seven guys in, in the panel at the moment from the district, which is unprecedented. And it's a great reflection of the clubs, Timpelo and Kilmeyr, and even Kilgarvan, and Toosist. And you see, it's a great reflection of all the work that has been done at underage in the clubs. And, uh, and as the players grew up, they went to um, Publiskol in Varskane, all the players went there. And they came under the tutelage of Tom Connor, who as a very interesting role model for people all over the country, he took over the the team in his when he was seventy. He had retired in the hotel business, and he spent the last ten or twelve years. And he's in his eighties now, and he's still organizing the football in the, in in the in the public school in Verscana. so a great role model for everybody around the country, never trying to towel.
3: Absolutely. It's, it's amazing, isn't it, how did the schools sort of give um, a, a huge kick to certain areas, like whether it's out in, in Dingle under Fitzmaurice and the Sem obviously down through the years has been yes. such a, a big factor, so this isn't uh, necessarily to rival parishes coming side to side they are of course that when they're on the club pitch I think these lads would have been friends growing up and very close already Yes,
2: they all play together they all grew up together in fact also not to mention uh, there's Julia Sullivan who's also went to the school she's playing for the Kerry ladies in the All-Ireland the following week which is a great reflection on the culture of the school as well
3: how does it differ from the Kenmare that you grew up in, in terms of the football prowess of the area?
2: Well, at that, you see, it's probably, when I was growing up, Ken Kenmare, Kilgarvan, to assist were all the one team in the county championship. But because they are now a victim of their success. Timplenau have, have become a senior team. Kenmare has come, become a senior team. I've no doubt about it, they'd be winning county championships had, they not, had this not happened if they were both still playing together. Right. So it's a plus for the clubs, it's a minus for the district.
3: Okay. So what has changed then in terms of the, the individual greatness of all these teams, like you mentioned the school already, are, are there other factors at play in yes, this area? I,
2: I think that the good leadership in the clubs, excellent people, involved at all levels at underage level up to senior level and they have nurtured and developed the the, the players and their skills and their prowess mm. so it's, um, it's leadership from the bottom up rather than the top down
3: Am I right in saying as well that around the time you would have been an underage player Hurling would have been a bit more of an influence as well in this area?
2: Yes uh, I grew up playing probably more hurling than football and until I became minor uh, the age, then we kind of had to uh, concentrate on the football but traditionally hurling was the dominant game in the, in the area but now obviously over the last 30 or 40 years football has taken a priority but hurling is still strong.
3: So where, where is it like, can the, there the people, are dual are players, is, is there a, a divide when you get to a certain point, or, or who are the hurling no, folk it, in this area? No, And
2: I'm involved with the club senior football team, there are eight or nine of the footballers involved in the hurling mm-hmm. team. So it's a dual, it's a dual club, makes it difficult for both hurling and football, but you have to, you, that is the, the right of players—they have the right to play both games, yeah. and you must respect that.
3: It's interesting, isn't it? Because you you often see people from this part of the county on the county hurling team, and it's like this little oasis of hurling that exists nowhere near North Kerry. So, yes. so what's the, the historic reasoning for that? Do you know? I suppose
2: traditionally, Kilgarvan and Kirmair, uh were hurling strongholds. They have all going back 130 years. Hurling was the dominant game. And the, it was tradition, and they had won more county championships in hurling than football. So football, um, I suppose that the big factor I can remember is there was a guard stationed to Kenmare. He was an awfully man called PJ McIntyre in the sixties, and he was he was into football, and he started all the youngsters around playing underage coached them kept the pressure on them and gradually all these lads came together and won a county championship in 1974 and that was really the beginning okay. and uh, and it has obviously grown since
3: from your own perspective then i guess it would have always been very hard to turn your back on football after the underage success that you mentioned there and just getting onto to the senior panel with Kerry at such a young age. What I'm really interested in is those early years with the Kerry panel when you would have gone in there and you would have seen the two mix, the two great mix, Mick O'Dwyer and Mick O'Connell right at the end of, of their, their playing days. What was that experience like as a young fella who I'm sure acutely recognised the greatness of the two men you shared a dressing room with?
2: It was, it was a great privilege. I, was, I joined the panel when I was 18 and for the first two or three years They were still on the team and you respected them, you stood back, you admired them, you learned from them. And it was a great privilege to be on the same team as Mick O'Connell or Mick O'Dwyer. And then it was a transition stage. They were uh, coming to the end of their career, all that age group. And then our group were gradually coming in. But contrary to what people think, we uh, lost championship for four years before we won in 1975. And it's very similar to, I remember me discussing this with Johnny Shea recently. I said, it was very beginning of the year, it was a bit down. He says, look, I'm, I'm in there five years and I've won nothing. I okay. says, that's the learning process. We did the same. Most of us were in there for four or five years before we won any championship. Mm. So, you see, a a team goes through a growth stage, a performance stage, and a decline. Uh, The growth stage, no team comes overnight. And the growth stage is where you learn from your defeats and you take everything on board. Just as Kerry, this present Kerry team has done they have had m- agonizing defeats, but they've gone, come back. They have learned, they have rectified situations that didn't work out. It was a learning process and most, no team com- develops overnight, rarely, only the exception. So it takes, what, what it takes, it's a journey of learning from, you have to learn from your mistakes from your uh, disappointments, and it improves the resolve. That's why I feel Kerry have had the learning process. They have the growth process. They are now in the performance stage. They haven't been beaten. They conceded three goals this year in the championship, and they're now in the performance stage. Whereas Galway are still, hopefully they're still We'll be learning from the disappointment on Sunday mm-hmm. because Kerry age structure is about 26. They're at the ideal stage, whereas Galway have, they have a, probably a wider base of age structure. But I think that Kerry now are in the performance stage. Mm-hmm. They can continue in that stage for as long as they're hungry. And as, as long as they keep, hopefully they'll win on Sunday, and they looked at that. How can we be better? Just like the Limerick hurlers, yeah. Limerick have brought this to a fine heart, and they push back the decline. If the hungry, like Dublin did in the football, they extended. They they kept the succession planning to perfection. They kept players hungry. They kept players fighting for their positions. Whereas if you put out the same team again next year after winning, you're on the decline.
3: Yeah, you need fresh blood, a couple yes. of new faces every so, year.
2: Going back to your question about the, from the 70 to 75, that was a transition stage.
3: You had the lads in decline, really, didn't you? you yes. The two mixed yes. in decline.
2: And then you had the younger lads, the Polly Lynches, the John O'Keeves, they were all in the learning, the, lear- the, the growth stage.
3: That's a really interesting contrast between those two generations of players then. What I'm interested in is, from your own memories, how do players like Mick O'Connell deal with the decline stage? You know, the, knowing all your life that you've been one of the best players in the country, if not ever, and realising that age remains unbeaten. Yes, yes.
2: I, I presume uh, he never declined.
3: He walked away.
2: He walked away before he declined. Yeah. And he probably saw these lads that weren't born when he was playing on the Kerry team, which is a fact. Yeah. And then he says, Probably it's about time that I took the circus off the road, you know?
3: You rode off into the sunset. Yes,
2: yes. And the same with Mick. And they both continued with their clubs.
3: Are, oh. you surpri- are you surprised Sorry, uh, Mickey, that, that uh, Mick O'Dwyer became the very visible face of Kerry G.E.A. after that and Mick O'Connell retreated uh, uh, literally to, to, to Valencia for a, a while? W- did you always notice that in their characters?
2: Not necessarily. Uh, Mick O'Connell was a perfectionist and uh, he probably it was about perfection of the game. I'd say he hadn't interested, he wasn't interested in management. Mm-hmm. Once he had done it, He had made his mark and he uh, uh, did other aspects of his life. Mick was involved probably in his club as a trainer and uh, the natural progression then was, he had great leadership qualities, good management skills and was to progress. Um, There were different personalities
3: yeah, very much so. It certainly yeah. seems that way. Yeah. What then do you think Mick O'Dwyer saw in you as a teammate, and then as a as a player for him that he thought you'd make a good coach, a good selector?
2: I don't know. Um, uh, I'd say the reason because at the time I had I was doing a degree in physical education okay. in London, and. The perception of physical education was fitness. And make the obvious thing was we need some guy at the time. That was the nearest thing to sports science. Mm.
3: You were the cutting edge.
2: Yeah. And we need to get this guy in because he has been abroad. He has seen how they do it in soccer, rugby. Maybe he, he might benefit
5: yeah.
3: uh, us and bring it to another new level. When Mick O'Dwyer departs as carry manager, is there this shadow that constantly lingers for people like yourself, for all the managers that, that managed in the 10 years after, yeah. even if you didn't appreciate yeah. it at the time? In hindsight, was that the case?
2: Not necessary, because you understood it was a transition. Sure. And most people would have advised me, don't touch it. Right. There's a no-win situation here. People were telling for, you that. Yes. But I felt... I was asked to do the job. I will do it to the best of my ability and I will take them to the next level. And that's what I went in to do, try and make the transition. We knew that the transition would be slow because I had been involved in the previous management structure. And there was a mistake made. No young, There was no succession planning. And at that stage, I actually left the management team because there was no uh, interest in succession because you can understand uh, Mick's point of view was uh, these lads have given me everything I'm not going to be dropping them of course. and we'll play them to the end and I can see his loyalty but I could see the picture that succession it was vital, otherwise, we were going to go into a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I went in, then I had to get rid of guys that wanted to stay on and were, in my opinion, under decline. Yeah. And I brought in, I asked, could I have the under 21s? And I brought in 20 under 21s 20 to the senior panel. Uh, One fell swoop? Yeah. Right. So there was no way you were going to start winning anything, but you had to grow these. So we we won the Under-21 All-Ireland that okay. year. And we went to the All-Ireland again the following year. And we won the Munster again the following year. So that was the basis of the 97 team. But it was going to be a slow process. I was under no illusions. And, uh, in Kerry, the whole thing is um, you have to win in all Ireland. Uh, I knew that, but I had to have my own uh, targets and goals. Otherwise, I I was in a, a a loser for you know I was just going to get a lot of stick and not take it. But I had no problem with the stick because I had my own goals. Yeah, taking the players to the
3: next level. How bad was the stick?
2: I, I never felt it. There was no social media, there was no, it, it wasn't the thing that time. Okay. It's social media and media, there was very little media that time. There was maybe two or three papers. That was it. And you would get your raps, but that was natural. That went with the, the role. So you just did your job what you thought was the right thing, you didn't give a damn what people said, because you felt you were on the right track. And that was it.
3: It's interesting, we had Darrow Kaneda on a show a few weeks ago before the Dublin match, and he was saying that, he kind of alluded to the fact that Ogi doesn't get anywhere near enough credit for the football agency yes. he laid for Pawdy. Yes. Like it does feel that there's Miko then Pawdy, and everybody in between just kind of gets forgotten about as a carry manager sometimes.
2: Same thing will happen Peter or Kane. Yeah. Peter Kane has gone through the growth stage of this team. But Jack will get the benefit and that's about timing mm. and Jack is good at timing. And uh, so th- th- the same thing, Peter Cian will get the, Ogie didn't get the, the credit of building that team and um, but that's, that's management. You can achieve anything in management as long as you're not worried who gets the credit.
3: I was, just, I was just about to ask that question, actually. Maybe it's not for you, then. Maybe do you think, in general, managers like like Ogie are actually okay with that, that they know yes. themselves what they did, yes. even though nobody's giving them credit? Yes,
2: that's it. Theodore Roosevelt said that. He says you can achieve anything as long as you're not worried about who gets the credit. <laughs> it's
3: a good saying.
2: And that is the ultimate in... If you have to manage, you have to... You manage from the bottom up and you give everybody credit. It isn't about yourself. That's the old fashioned where it came from the top down. Management now is about developing everybody, management and players to to contribute to the common goal. And that's basically uh, everybody going into management now knows that.
3: Yeah. Was there a particular moment in modern Gaelic games where you realised that everybody is now thinking that way?
2: Uh, the vast majority of people understand that now, yeah. that go into management, that it's about the people you get on the bus. The people that uh, you, you look, you can't be an expert in every area. You look for what you think the best person in strength and conditioning, the best coach, the best physio, the best psychologist, but not alone that. Can, I, can we work together? That is very important. Have these people an ability. You see, you can bring in somebody and you don't click with them. That that causes, it's like a cancer then in the group. It wears it, it cuts, It it, it eats into the effectiveness and to the core and the values. So it's very important that you understand the personality and know the personality of the person you bring in and that you work well together. And there are no egos. Mm-hmm. Egos, ego is the enemy. And so that's the ultimate, that, that people are in it for the right reasons. Okay. And they're in it for, to make their contribution And basically, if they get credit, so what? Mm -hmm. But ultimately, they're making their contribution for the overall target or the overall goal.
3: There's two things I want to ask you about on the back of that of your own personal situations. We'll come back to you as as Limerick Manager and your work with maybe Keane O'Neill in just a moment. But before that, it's the other side of things, you being brought in to a camp. And one of the most fascinating parts of your career, in my opinion anyway, is... Uh, the South Africans picking up the phone to you uh, all those years ago. Uh, for those that have forgotten, what actually happened at, th- at that point And how did that come about?
2: Um, it came about that um, um, so the Springboks were worried about their ability to catch the ball.
3: This was 2005 direction, yes, was it? Yes,
2: 2005. And um, they got on to Conor O'Shea. And Conor Shea recommended me. And uh, I went out with Jonathan Callard. He was fullback for England, I suppose, in the 90s. And he was the English kicking coach. And they wanted to improve kicking and aerial skills. And both of us went out and we worked in with the five super 12, super 12 teams or Super 14 teams that time, I think. The Blue Bulls, the Cheetahs, and these. And we worked with them first. And then Jake White brought us in to work with the Springboks. And uh, it was an interesting um, concept because I asked him why. And he said, um, if, for example, An out half kicks the ball and the winger he kicks it towards the win, and the winger catches it over his head and down. He says, it could be the winning between winning the World Cup and losing the World Cup, just into small details. And the first day I was with them, I couldn't believe how big these guys were and how uncoordinated a lot of them were. So I says to him... um, how come these guys are so big? And he says, you know, hundred eighty years ago when the Europeans came out here, they went out into the bush. He said, working in agriculture, and he says only the the biggest and the strongest survived. And he says the the DNA or the the average South African is he gave me stats so much heavier and bigger than the average European white. Right? Nice. So, and that was the, the reason. But they weren't that coordinated. But they had to work on it, you know? Okay. But it was an interesting uh, experience.
3: So you were doing like high ball drills with them basically? was yes, it? yes. Okay.
2: And uh, it was interesting the first day I met the, uh, the team, uh, the Springboks, and they said, you know, he, he, Jake White was trying to give a background where I was coming from. And very little, very few of them knew about Gaelic games. So I says, I'll give you 10. I brought the 19th, 2005 Tyrone versus Kerry match in a DVD.
3: Well, could you not have picked a
2: better one, no? <laughs> so I said, uh, I'll show you 10 minutes of the game that I'm involved in. So they sat back anyway, and after the ten minutes, we want to watch it all. <laughs> so, and then they You've couldn't heard
3: before Cullivan's goal, obviously.
2: <laughs> and uh, they couldn't believe that there was eighty thousand people, and these guys weren't being paid. Yeah, and they couldn't believe the speed, and how they. The big thing was how they could exploit space. And they felt that's what they could bring from Gaelic football, breaking the line, creating uh, penetration. And then they asked me to do something on that. Right. And, um, but the interesting thing, when I was talking, I spotted this guy, he was one of the coaches, and I recognized him, it was David Campisi. Okay. He was, he scored the famous try in uh, 91, I think, against, in Lansdowne Road against Ireland in the World Cup. Yeah. So I said, there's a guy there, knows probably more than I do about eye catches <laughs> from the Aussie rules. And David was a very quiet guy. So he, I brought him on board with me in the drills and things because he had, a, he had actually played Aussie rules as well. So that was an interesting uh, development there. And um, so, no, it was a... Then Connor got feedback And Connor asked me would I get involved with the English development squad up in Yorkshire, up in York. And I says, Christy, I can't let anyone in Ireland know that I'm doing this. And did you do it? I did, yeah. And uh, I just went over a couple of times into York. I think it was in York. And uh, that was an interesting development as well. And how... They were developing. Connor was involved. He was in. He was a kind of um, development officer for the English Rugby Union at the time. Okay, yeah. yeah.
3: And obviously still involved with the, the English yes. Rugby Union at the moment yes. as well. Yes. Right. Okay. And is that where your rugby uh, coaching career ended? So in,
2: uh, well, I had played the only game I played in when I was in uh, Strawberry Hill was rugby. It was the nearest to Gaelic football. Okay. So I had a, a good experience of rugby yeah. over four years.
3: You should say as well, obviously, it was a, in England, South Africa. World Cup final in 07, South Africa got the job done. The, the Mickey Neto, Sullivan Derby. Yeah. I, don't, I didn't realise that's what it was. Yeah. So you, you taught Brian Habana how to catch a high ball.
2: Yes, um, he was in the team at the time. Yes. And he was young. He was only about 19, yeah. but he was very well built and very fast.
3: Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, Back to the Gaelic games then, and I mentioned that I did want to talk about your, the other side of things, being the coach who, who brings yes. people in. Uh, when you talk about that growth mindset that exists from a managerial standpoint, everybody's talking about Park Joyce this week and his decision to uh, enhance his own coaching ticket with people like and yes. O'Neill. Yes. I think you were the first person to ever give Keen a chance at inter-county level.
2: That's right. Um, I'd heard about him and he was coaching a junior club in Clare at the time and uh, I rang him and met him and was impressed by him. So he he was brought in as a strength and conditioning person and spent two years and had a very positive uh, input into development of these Limerick players at the time. The good mindset, good attitude, good approach. And uh, then he went to Tipperary and moved into more of, I think he was still in the strength and conditioning, went from there to Mayo and got into the coaching side of things okay. then and uh, no, it was and very good he was very professional in every way.
3: Did you see that there was something there that this guy was very ambitious yes. to, to succeed?
2: very ambitious and he wasn't going to stay with
3: us okay. and uh, that was you know you could see that he was ambitious. One last point there on Keane, on just about the, the transition from strength and conditioning into kind of more of a, a tactical coach. Is, is that an unusual pathway for, for a young coach in, in GEA? It is, because generally speaking, strength and conditioning people,
2: you know, in the management thing, there is, there isn't a big crossover between the strength and conditioning and the coach. Mm. And from a manager's point of view, you give your slot to the strength and conditioning person and you give the slots to the coaching but I know there's a lot of interaction as well between both but generally speaking uh, strength and conditioning people stay within that area that they are qualified in and the coaches then are a more broader perspective because they don't come, they come from a football point of view mm-hmm. so they wouldn't have the knowledge of the strength and conditioner and they would stick to they usually in the football side of mm-hmm. things okay so he's obviously managed to shatter that glass yeah. ceiling in, in yeah. some regards
3: yes, yes. um just a, a couple of other things mickey net i was looking at the forecast for sunday it's going to rain you know all about playing all ireland finals uh yes. in, in the wet and, yes. and the rain at yes. uh, 1975 obviously it wasn't uh the, the best day yes. obviously you uh can't possibly have memories of that full game after after yes, what happened. Yes. Um, it, I'm interested just in in that moment. Is that something that you kind of look back at and, and laugh at? Is it something that you're you're proud of? I mean, it's such a unique moment in such a big game, uh, and at the same time, it's it's a terrible, uh, horrific moment for you in that moment. Well, it just happened, and you accept it. Mm-hmm.
2: The most important thing was the lads went on a windy all Ireland. Yeah, and you really you don't think about it, you just these things happen, yeah, you don't have a regret or you you accept it and you you enjoyed the the, the few minutes you were there, and uh, you move on yeah um it, it it just that was part of the game, and the interesting thing about it, the person who is reputed to have knocked me out has become a very good friend. Because every time we go to Dublin, we we'll a ring, or any time he's down, we touch base. We might have a drink or a meal, and it it led to a great friendship. And we have never discussed that situation.
3: Yeah, it's interesting. You've never talked about it. No. Who is it? Sean the, D'Arty. It is Sean D'Arty, Yeah, is, yeah.
2: and uh, we we've we've. What goes, what goes on on the field? You leave it on the field, and yeah. you move on. And you have a lot more in common than you don't have. Yeah. And football is about, it's, a, it's, it's not about, it's a journey. And it's about the people you meet and you have so much in common and you have kept, you, you, because you have a similar, um, ru- uh, we'll say gone through a similar pathway, you have a lot in common and those friendships blossom. Outside, of the football field, mm-hmm. so um, it's you. You leave everything. What goes, what goes on the field stays on the field. You know.
3: It's a good way to be. Were you going to pass the ball, or were you, were you going to go for a goal?
2: I haven't a clue. <laughs> I haven't a clue. But I've seen once or twice. I saw it, and uh, I think I could have passed it. I think Ogie was running <laughs> inside <laughs> me, and. Uh, I was probably obsessed with scoring a goal, and uh, didn't. <laughs> I should have passed the ball, but that's that's life.
3: Did you pass the ball more after that moment?
2: No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> didn't learn my lesson. Um, so um, that's basically. I don't remember an awful lot more
3: about that game. No, but it is, it is one of the, the more iconic uh, yeah. moments of, of, of an All-Ireland and yeah. uh, an All-Ireland in the rain in particular. Yeah. Just to fast forward then to, to 2022, then you mentioned there talking to, to Sean O'Shea a few weeks ago and or at the start of the season, I should say. How proud were you to see him kick that kick? I mean, every Kerry person probably got a sense of pride, but just given the fact that you know the man, given the fact yes. that, that he is your neighbour.
2: I was 100% sure he was going to kick it right over the bar. Because any time I go to the football field, he has 15 balls in the middle of the day and he's practicing. His mental resolve is fen- phenomenal. Once I saw him put Shane Ryan, didn't allow Shane Ryan kick the ball. He was a captain. He took re- responsibility. I knew he was going to score. Because, you know, he has such a, a discipline, a self-discipline that he has worked on over the years. And he doesn't say much, but he leads by example. And he demands a very high standard of himself. Mm -hmm. And he's a perfectionist in terms of uh, kicking, uh, well, his his ability to kick freeze. Mm -hmm. He works, works, works. He's a great role model, both on and off the field. And I couldn't speak highly enough of him as a person and as a, as a leader. He's a, he's a... I don't know if they're born leaders. I think leadership is learned. But he
3: certainly has learned it. Okay. Did people in Kinmare always know he was going to be this good?
2: Uh, up to about 16 years of age, you, you didn't. But then he began to develop. He developed his game, but he developed physically as well, and he he has to, he's developed himself enormously from a physical point of view, because he wasn't structurally that strong. But I'm telling you, you'd not want to hit into in against him now.
3: Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. He said on our show a few years ago that he took a year out after the Leaving circus he did it when he was 16 and uh, he was working for the family business which allowed him to become a professional minor footballer I think yes, was his yes, phrase so yes, yes. it's that work ethic yes, you, you yes. speak to in that year in particular I think yes. that made a big difference. Yes
2: and I suppose we're very fortunate in Kinmere now that he's got a job in the local um, uh, public school. Uh, oh, in he's Virginia. working back here now, yes. right? He's teaching.
3: Okay. I thought he was te- he's, so he used to be teaching in Cork, obviously. That so was, he
2: was just doing his dip. Oh, he's okay. uh, uh, in 3, I think he was, and but he's, he's full time now in Kinmere, okay. which makes... is great. And all the students, uh, uh you look up to him, you know, because he's a great leader and he's a good teacher as
3: well, you know. And is that that is chairman of the club? Is he?
2: He was chairman. He was chairman. But he's five years was up, but he's still running the club. You know, he's yeah. he's uh, exceptional. His dad played Kerry Minor as well, centre back. Uh, I don't know what year now, but you get mixed. As you get older, you, you can't pick out the years. And so, um, no, he's he lives football, you know, yeah. and that's what's required. And you have to eat and sleep it. And he certainly does it, you know, and he leads by example. And he's not a, he doesn't say much, but he leads. What he says is worth listening to.
3: 100%. Yeah. Are Kerry going to win on Sunday?
2: I would think so. But then again, you have to be careful. Anything can happen in the heat of battle. And, but I think that the stage, as I already mentioned, that Kerry are at, They are in the performance stage, whereas I still think uh, Galway are in the growth stage. And I think that gives the, the tips to balance in Kerry's. I think it's going to be low scoring first half. I think Galway will close down all the channels and maybe after 45 minutes it will open up. And I think then Kerry will finish
3: stronger, Okay, you know? Very good. Um, Mickey, Ned, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. Thanks a million for being so generous with your time. And uh, hopefully it's another great day day for Kinmare and and the Kinmare district as a whole on Sunday. Hopefully. Looking forward to it. (laughs)
4: Yes, fascinating stuff there with Mickey, Ned, O'Sullivan. You can catch that interview across the the off-the-ball social channels and on our podcast network. OTB AM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. And here's what we've got on OTB Sports Radio today. At 1pm, we've OTB Gold inside Porta Carrington's Gaff. 3pm, live Friday night racing. 4pm, the latest episode of Coy Gig podcast. And at 6pm, we've the OTB Gold, Michael Owen. Follow Off The Ball across all our social channels. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and be sure to download the OTB Sports app for the latest in the best sports content and analysis. Now we're back after the break with Owen's chat alongside Marina Barry, holder of 10 All-Ireland medals. Owen, we're talking about a living legend in Kerry?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, The last stop on the trip yesterday was to go up to Tralee to meet Marina Barry. She was part of the team that, as you say, won 10 All-Irelands, 9 All-Irelands on the bounce. And it is 40 years ago this year since that run began. 1982, obviously not a great year uh, when it comes to the, the top of the minds of Kerry football fans. They are obviously done by Seamus Derby and, and that goal for Offaly uh, to stop the five in a row. But in 1982, the same year, the women were also in a final, also against Offaly, but they did manage to win that one. And that was going to become the first of nine All-Ireland titles in a row. It was an absolutely obscene run that they went on. Of course, in a couple of weeks' time, on Sunday week, they're going to be in an All-Ireland final as well as they go for the men's and women's finals, the first time since 1986 that Kerry are in both finals. So uh, Marina was a, a key part of that team, which included so many Kerry legends. A lot of them just don't like doing interviews, it's, uh, it, which almost kind of enhances uh, the, the legend around them a little bit. So uh, thankfully, she managed to uh, agree to sit down with me yesterday evening We'll bring you that chat after the break.
4: Brilliant. We're back after this. OTB
3: AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Lobbs Razor with Exfoliating
6: Bar.
1: You know, I always felt at the time just trying to get facilities was difficult. You had your um, management team, you know, with the county board, but you've got to remember that the women and the men were separate. So um, we wouldn't have had the same access to facilities, but... um, so even getting you know fields to train on and things like that was difficult uh there wouldn't have been much money for you know food or you know before games and things or after games but um nowadays uh and even access to fields you know uh to get crow park to play in all ireland and you know when i was watching games with my dad and my family way back in the 70s 80s you know we used to watch on tv and uh, you'd see Kerry Dublin playing, you know, amazing games. And our own club um, mates would have been playing the likes of Gerard Power, Mikey Sheehy, John O'Keefe. And these, you know, they were playing R- Crow Park. And I automatically thought that's where we'd play the All-Ireland. But it that didn't happen for us until 1986. So we would have been playing it, you know, around the country, but no place um, that I would have thought was a big stadium. But uh, we got to play there in 1986, which is huge. Uh, so for me, that was like, yeah, this is real now. This is what the All-Ireland is about. But before that, because it, I suppose ladies football was only beginning its journey as such. But nowadays it has totally improved and it's great to see the support that the girls are getting. But it didn't take from the enjoyment. Sure. But for me, um, I always wanted to play in Grove Park so uh, to get access to it was a huge step forward for, for us at the time.
3: 86, uh, like um, the last time Kerry were on the hunt for the double actually, um, as, as it turns out, so I presume that year, just because of the Croke Park reason, is, is that as special as any of the other years, that first final in Croke Park for you?
1: Um, It's it's one of them up there, there was one before that, in ni- no, was that in 93, 86? No, 86 is probably the first uh, beyond that, it wasn't even in Crow Park. There was another game that um, we had won the nine in a row. So we were playing Waterford, who were a huge team um, back in, in the day. And every Munster final, we'd play Waterford. And I mean, those wins were narrow by us, but we just managed to, to get over the line. But there was one we had gone to the nine in a row, uh, lost. So in 93, we were playing them again in uh Killarney in Fitzgerald Stadium, and it, that was a ding dong of a game. It was point for point. They were ahead, we were ahead. And then there was about maybe 40 seconds left in the game, and th- it was a draw at this stage. And um, I got the ball into my hand, a good bit out now on the right hand side, but on the stand side, and I just said, Let's go for it. And uh, it thankfully went floated over. <laughs> I don't know how it did, but. That for me probably was one of the the better games that I remember. It wasn't even a final, but it was a, you know a game that really it, it was a ding dong battle. People were getting hurt. My dad was you know people were getting heart attacks. It was so close and so intense, you know. So it was you know there were games. It didn't have to be finals, but a lot of the games were were very competitive and really you know enjoy, enjoyable. Uh, so we went on then to to win that one again in '93, which was the last of our All-Irelands, really, yeah.
3: What's interesting is that whenever uh, we speak to anybody from the, the great nine-in-a-row teams, uh, it, it's you're a very modest bunch, and it's very, very hard to get anybody to kind of talk about uh, the, the, the run full stop and then to talk about how, how excellent the team was. So I'm going to ask you to talk about one of your teammates instead of yourself for a moment. And, and, and Mary Jo Curran is one uh, player who gets kind of spoken about quite a bit, possibly the most recognisable name on that team. Just just, just for people who, who weren't maybe old enough to have, have seen her in her pomp for Kerry, how good a player was she?
1: Well, Mary Jo was so good in that she could nearly have kicked the ball out from goals herself. She could have been the goalkeeper. If she kicked it out, she then would have been able to go out, catch it in midfield, solo, do a few dum- dummies and put it over the bar. I, you really, you know, really, that is how good she was. She, um, like that, very shy, didn't want to talk about herself, but she could glide, she could catch, um, she was graceful, um, yeah, she was everything. I'd say she must have got an all star every year, mm. um, and you know. Didn't, as I say, didn't want to know about how, you know, that she, you know, she was so good, but she was. She got us out of trouble. Now, not saying it's a team game at the end of it. You know, everyone has to, you know, be involved. The subs especially as well. There were a lot of people on the panel. But, yeah, if you were to pick anybody, Mary Jo in my era, and even to this day, she's one there that you put up there that was just majestic, a lady, um, unselfish, unselfish. all those, those words that you, you know, talk about somebody. And yeah, if you wanted to get out a bit of bother, if you wanted a little goal at the back of the net, she could just go the length of the field and slot it through. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so she yeah, she is uh, one of the all-time greats, absolutely, with the, the Kerry team.
3: I do think she's appreciated within Kerry, but maybe nationally, do you think maybe more appreciation needs to go for her as like one of the all-time greats in, in Gaelic games, full stop?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And she played basketball as well and she was uh, as good at that. So she kind of finished in, I think, early with Kerry because she wanted to focus focus on basketball as well. So definitely people do know her around the country mm-hmm. um, as a super athlete, I suppose, first and foremost, whether it be football or basketball. Um, yeah, Mary Jo is a name that, that is well known. Yeah. Uh-huh.
3: Um, can I ask then about the year the run ends going for a 10 I presume was like this this lovely uh, round number to, to, to get to and of course it would have been it would have taken a brave person to, to bet against you that year so what did happen that year and, and how did that feel to actually lose again?
1: I think I remember more the, the time we lost than when we had nine in a row I think we played Watford for in Listol and um usually we could pull it out of the bag but we didn't this time so i think that for me was the the more the one that kind of hurt most um it was like it, you kind of finished the game and you kind of didn't it was disbelief that did we actually lose yeah. you know it that doesn't usually happen but you know you it takes a few <laughs> a few days for the you know the pill to drop and to kind of uh realize so i suppose when we lost when we finished in 93 a few of the team then had decided to retire because we'd been on you know the road a while and and a few uh, new young crew were coming in and you know they were all i i think i stayed on for another year, year or two but i was based in dublin as well so a lot of traveling up and down but um yeah i mean when we finished in 93 um that was you know to get that win was huge uh, the number sounded nice too 10 <laughs> But, um, yeah, I suppose it's time, you know, for it to, to pass on, to, you know, to move around. No, we were happy. But as I say, when when it finished, when we were beaten after the nine-year-old, that was, I suppose, when it really kind of sank in. But we, you know, it took two years to come back again. And, um, yeah, so we proved that we could do it once more. And as I say, then the team started to change. People retired. Some stayed on. But uh, the girls now are doing fine. And, there's an, you know, there is a and has always been a good uh, development of the, the girls and they've been striving for years and you know they were lucky not to get there a lot of the times and hopefully now this year is, is another chance and a huge chance for, for them to, to drive on in, in the final, um, the 31st I think, of, yeah. of the month. Um,
3: when you were watching the Cork team in the 2000s then, were you thinking about your record every year that passed or were you like, oh no, it's good to have a great team at the top of the table?
1: I suppose when you're looking from the outside, you I suppose you'd like to see it go around and for it to be you know shared among yeah, people. So when we were playing, I'm sure people were <laughs> were a little bit tired of us, but we weren't tired. When you're playing, you don't mind. But um, you know, uh, I was keeping an eye on them all right yeah. to, to see and I suppose I didn't want our record uh, to be... Uh, <laughs> Broken, maybe, yeah, Um, but I suppose that's a natural feeling, but no, they were a great team. They were a very good team, managed um, uh, very well, Um, and um, yeah, a lot of those girls as well played the camogie, so that was a huge, you know, uh, just to see the female sport grow and grow and grow each year was huge, and the numbers are still growing, and the support, um, you know, and uh, you know it's 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 growing and growing, and it's it's great to see. And I suppose you know it was nice to know we started started it off, you know, um, from way back. And um, it's great to see it uh, thrive and blossom. And you know the players, and it's great support and huge huge for uh, girls yeah. to see people and role models that they can maybe say I want to be like them one day, you know.
3: Where do you keep your medals? You've got 10 All irelands what, what do you do with the medals?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I can find about five of them. <laughs> yeah, but I, I'll have to start digging around. Uh, yeah, a few. Uh, yeah, I suppose when, you, when I was younger, um, uh, you don't really, you know, uh, you kind of put them somewhere, or I think they were in the house somewhere. Uh, but yeah, we, we'll get grips with them again. I, I don't know. But uh, yeah, I think the memories is, is the main thing. Um, just the memories of playing Crow Park. Um, meeting people um, through the years, uh, families were huge as well. My dad was huge, had a huge interest. He was very proud, he, you know, he, to see him um, in, in the Hogan stand after and just, you know, the joy. He, he was a great footballer himself. He played with Austin Stax uh, Hurling, as did my family, my brothers and sisters as well. So um, it's outside of the sport itself. It brings families, communities. Um, our own club, Austin Stacks, you know, so it's a part of my life, really, I suppose, you know, and uh, I still seem to want to continue. I was at training now last night and um, I still am able, thankfully, to, you know, uh, put the boots on and run around, maybe not as fast as I'd like to, but uh, Where yeah. Where do you play for Stacks at the moment, actually? Um, I'm playing around maybe uh, corner forward, yeah. Where's your daughter play? She plays out the field maybe uh, half forward. You're not fighting for the same jersey anymore. Anyway. No, 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 no.
4: <laughs> Incredible stuff there from legendary Marina Barry, winner of 10 All-Ireland medals. You can catch the interview and all of Owen's interviews on our social channels and she is still playing football. That is just amazing stuff. OTB AM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. OTB AM is back Monday morning from 7.30 as and Nathan react to the All-Ireland football final with live reaction from the winning team's hotel.
2: OTB
3: AM with Gillette.
5: Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs razor with exfoliating bar.